0: Welcome to Darkwater, Season 1 Finale, Part 1.
1: If you force me to simplify it, to dilute it down to a pitch for a true crime documentary, I would tell you this is the unsolved mystery of two women found dead on the same day. One stuffed in a TV cabinet inside a vacant home quickly followed by another face down in a trash can directly across the street, both nude and decomposing. A third woman, who knew the first two, was inside the home when the first was found. She spoke to the local news the next day about the horror of what happened. Weeks later, she was also found dead after suffering a string of ominous events, including an attack during which someone cut her hair.
0: Her body was discovered by a couple teenage boys playing basketball on a hot summer day. When she was found, she was also found nude and decomposing. Her mouth reportedly stuffed, perhaps a symbol for being silenced. Then two more women disappeared from the same neighborhood. There could even be more cases of murdered and missing women related to these five, all based in rural southern town over the years. Again,
1: that's the simple, perhaps more marketable version. If you want to know the real story, the hauntingly complex story about these human beings who deserve justice and the world in which they met their ends or disappeared, keep listening because it's far scarier than the already grim version I just pitched to you. I started looking for a person responsible, only to find a place. It became a character, the antagonist, the primary suspect in our journey. This character is ultimately Lumberton, a small city surrounded by dense trees and farmland in Robeson County, North Carolina. If you've ever been traveling on Interstate 95 in Southeastern North Carolina, heading into South Carolina, you've probably passed it by without a thought. Just as someone might pass by a killer unknowingly before heading into the blur of palm trees and towering pines lining the highway, which itself has become infamous for drugs and human trafficking. Maybe you've passed Lumberton by without knowing on your way to Florida or Georgia, going down I-95 south, or looking for fireworks and heading to south of the border, a quirky, outdated theme park greeting you not long after leaving North Carolina rising against the backdrop of an otherwise barren landscape, its many billboards calling out to weary drivers as they rush past. The point is, Lumberton is easy to dismiss until you know what's happened there. Since I've crossed that threshold, it hasn't often left my mind.
0: These crimes didn't happen in a vacuum. They're the epitome and the result of Lumberton. Lumberton as the character we found that once had promise is now consuming its inhabitants. Where predators are made and continue to thrive. And maybe even a serial killer or two.
1: It's an enigmatic and faceless monster. Nick and I are trying to tell its story as honestly as possible. Knowing of what's happened there, It's difficult not to have chills even as you float down one of its isolated one-lane highways on an overwhelmingly hot summer day, cutting through Lumberton to the port city of Wilmington, passing by overgrown cemeteries, stop signs with bullet holes, industrial work sites, and the occasional pond, completely alone other than the steady howl of wind and insects. This is the setting that has been bearing witness to numerous morbid scenes throughout generations in Lumberton and surrounding areas.
0: Lumberton is a city left behind in many ways, still feeling the aftershock of becoming a ghost town when many businesses and industries left long ago. I've described the downtown as looking like it was frozen in place, its inhabitants raptured away. As the trope goes, it's too quiet. It can strike you as a sleepy southern town if you pass by on the way to the beach in the Carolina humidity, but when you look closer, it's full of many people in need of help and change. Lumberton and Robinson County at large have long been known for institutional corruption for decades, particularly in law enforcement and their involvement with drug trafficking and an incredible amount of crime, much of it violent, stemming from lost opportunities to make a life. There over decades of economic downturn and natural disasters plaguing the area particularly hurricanes and flooding, leaving people longing for relief. The federal drug forfeiture program, allowing law enforcement to
1: keep money obtained in arrest, was just reinstated in 2018 in Robinson County, following a long period of ineligibility as a result of Operation Tarnished Badge in the late 2000s. The operation revealed a significant amount of the sheriff's department, was engaged in drug distribution, money laundering, arson, assault, and theft of public money. Although it may appear on the surface there's a new era in Robeson County, simply because the faces heading its institutions have changed, it's hard to believe that's the case in the areas present after exploring its past. The Lumbee tribe in Robinson County has a long and storied history of discrimination and oppression not only from the people in their community, but even from other indigenous groups. Julian Pierce, a Lumbee activist striving to be a Superior Court judge in Robeson County in the late 80s, was murdered under odd circumstances after being asked to halt his campaign. His opponent was District Attorney Joe Freeman Britt, ultimately one of the most corrupt and bigoted prosecutors to ever operate in Robeson County. His cousin was recently the present-day District Attorney for Robeson County as well. Many people thought Julian Pierce was professionally assassinated versus the domestic dispute theory potentially constructed by police, resulting in the suicide of a family member after they followed him relentlessly. These events resulted in some of the largest protests in Lubberton's history, seeing black, white, and native people protest together for transparency and justice. Lumbee's, in a way, have been a perpetual underdog in history. But make no mistake, you don't want to cross them. Back in the 50s, the Klan tried to intimidate the Lumbees and interracial couples in Robinson County with a rally. After a brief skirmish, Lumbee sent them running scared into a swamp. The KKK has never held a public meeting in Robinson County since.
0: Two Tuscarora activists, another Native American tribe, Eddie Hatcher and Timothy Jacobs, even held the Robesonian newspaper hostage in 1988, demanding a state investigation into local corruption of law enforcement tied to narcotics. They alleged that Hubert Stone, the sheriff at the time, had a deputy and son, Kevin Stone, that assisted the sheriff's department in trafficking narcotics throughout Robeson County. Hatcher and Jacobs also claimed Hubert's son, wrongfully murdered someone they knew, Jimmy Earl Cummings. The governor arranged for an end to the hostage situation safely, and Eddie and Timothy were later cleared of federal terrorism charges. An investigation into the sheriff's department yielded no evidence of wrongdoing, despite many red flags, including missing cocaine from evidence rooms. So essentially, they pushed it under the rug, and people forgot. This is the same place where Michael Jordan's father was murdered and the controversial trial would leave North Carolina and the world questioning the integrity of the SBI and the Robinson County Sheriff's Department for years to come.
1: The drug dealing son of Sheriff Hubert Stone, Hubert Larry Dees, was called by the two men in prison for killing Jordan's father, in addition to a sex hotline, the night of the murder from Jordan's father's car phone. Interestingly, neither defense nor prosecution wanted this brought up at trial igniting even more conspiracy thought regarding the sheriff's department's hand in the drug trade and their willingness to silence whoever might dare stand in their way. The crime also sparked conspiracy theories concerning possible retaliation for Michael Jordan's gambling ties to a drug kingpin, which we believe is highly doubtful. And these theories have been debunked in the new ESPN Netflix documentary about Michael Jordan, if you've seen it. By the way... The only men punished for the murder, Daniel Green and Larry Demery, were undoubtedly involved due to evidence linking them to the crime, but they were also easy comprehensive scapegoats as black and Lumbee youth with criminal records. Much of the actual evidence was in conflict with the series of events presented by the prosecution, and the two teens were turned against each other early on. Green has attempted to appeal his conviction and claims a different version of events occurred, in which Demery shot Jordan, Green only helping him get rid of the body, which was found in a South Carolina river. When it was found, it was deemed unidentifiable. The only reason this death was followed up on was because of the expensive dental work noted by the coroner. Green's case and an opportunity for parole are both under review. Eventually, it was found the North Carolina SBI had come to faulty conclusions regarding 190 cases involving blood evidence including that of Michael Jordan's father.
0: So now you see, to say Lumberton and Robeson County are a complicated tapestry is, well, an understatement. Despite these hardships and intertwining injustices, a complex array of people there remain resilient and at times rise together. But are their voices being heard? Not often for what we can tell.
1: Now there's another layer to add to this story that sparked my interest in 2017. As I mentioned earlier, it's where I decided to look for what I continue to think is a serial killer after I read about a string of victim discoveries over the years, primarily women tied to sex work and addiction, aka the less dead, as well as a couple of grave desecrations and openings, one of which attracted FBI attention. All of these mysteries sparked my curiosity for exploring Lumberton and the endless hunt and finding the truth. Of course, when I actually think about it, I feel like there are at least a couple unidentified serial killers that once operated or are still operating in eastern North Carolina. From Rocky Mount to Carolina Beach, could they all be connected in some conspiracy? Doubtful, but those are stories for another time. Here, now, we are still looking for one of many monsters in Robeson County while simultaneously discovering its essence as a place. In the meantime, we've opened a Pandora's box that we can't close with a clear conscience after meeting the families and communities suffering from the crimes and crises.
0: This backdrop we've ventured into intersects with the potential story of a serial murderer or murderers, but more importantly, the botched investigations behind the deaths and disappearances of several women, considered, as we stated, the less dead by society at large. They're more than the mugshot and sensationalized headline you see in the news. They're real people. These victims were disparaged by law enforcement and the media as nothing more than addicts and sex workers, and thus undeserving of help when some didn't even have a record. Not that that should matter. Politicians and elected officials in Lumberton have often used critiques of sex workers, in general, as cheap rhetoric used to score points for appearing tough on crime. The police and media chose to reduce their identity to an unflattering label. Can you imagine what this does to victims' families living in the community? The delay of information and communication from the proper channels only add insult to the tragedy they were already living. As the time stretched on, the silence grew louder. Our society's
1: failure to recognize the need to protect and help addicts, sex workers, and minorities has led to this case growing cold, at least in the media, until another body is found or another person goes missing from the area. In the 70s, we were failing to begin to treat rape seriously as a society, allowing people like the Golden State Killer to flourish as media and police victim- blamed and failed to collaborate purposefully. During that case, local real estate organizations even had police not report news on the rapes publicly for fear of sullying neighborhood developments. Now, generations later, though we've made many strides in how we treat these issues, we are still failing to see beyond an unspoken traditional sense of morality and a desire for comfortable denial, making the most vulnerable among us an afterthought when it comes to justice and empathy. The same attitude from decades ago has shifted into how we treat crimes against other marginalized groups today. The women that started our true crime journey were painted as undeserving of justice before the slow and gruesome process even started. Their names are Kristen Bennett, Rhonda Jones, Megan Oxendine, Cynthia Jacobs, and Abby Patterson. And this is the story so far. The Lumberton Police Department, the investigative division led by Captain Terry Parker, has seemingly botched the investigation by destroying evidence, attacking the character of the victims, and failing to report relevant information to the FBI on a number of occasions. This has been reported by candid conversations with families close to the cases. Is this due to negligence and apathy when it comes to serving women like these? Or a deeper conspiracy that remains to be seen? And potentially, whoever is responsible for the deaths and disappearances remains at large.
0: That being said, Robeson County has some of the most well-trained and experienced members of law enforcement in the country, despite their corrupt past. Surely, some want these cases solved, and we need their perspective, for better or worse. It's what we want, too. There's a common goal and a common humanity to be found, and I think the world is discovering that. Okay, let's begin our timeline of crimes and investigations. This is all we know to be true to the best of our knowledge. America's still reeling over the 2016 election, the Russia investigation, North Korean missile tests, and attacking ISIS with the mother of all bombs. But in a quiet yet once thriving community in North Carolina, a story about a lesser known monsters, their victims, and the systems that created both of them was beginning to unravel. Tuesday, April 18th. Ironically, it was tax day in America. We've all heard the idea of no taxation without representation. It marks the beginning of a story of these women who were owed in death the representation they did not receive in life. The story of an entire community denied representation throughout time. According to an anonymous
1: tip delivered to the family and Lumberton police, days before her body was found, Rhonda Jones was last seen at 5 p.m. at PJ's convenience store on the east side of Lumberton's downtown, an area known for drugs, sex work, poverty, and violence. Small antiquated homes line the streets there, placed closely together, suggesting a neighborhood where citizens are very much intertwined in each other's happenings, for better or worse. A number of the homes are also abandoned and vacant due to the extreme flooding that occurs in Robinson County during hurricanes. The only immediate open space in this neighborhood gives way to housing projects and a few local businesses beside a quiet road, including a mortuary beside abandoned railroad tracks that pass through the heart of the once thriving town. Its well manicured graves and tombstones grabbing your eye as you pass provide the foreshadowing and symbolism often found only in works of fiction. When Rhonda Jones was seen at PJ's store that Saturday, it had been weeks since she spoke with her family. She was trying to gain custody of her kids through court proceedings, after years of struggling to get her life together, despite her issues with addiction, something she once described in her diary as unbeatable. Two uniformed Lumberton Police Department officers were also seen walking around with flashlights around 2 to 3 a.m. Tuesday, April 18th. Several locals living in the neighborhood claimed they saw this. What happened next would leave those same neighbors confused and afraid.
0: At about 9 a.m., Lumberton Police Department officers arrive at a small blue home on 505 Peachtree Street after receiving reports of a suspicious odor. A report from a man named Johnny Ray Barnes was at a nearby store in the area, PJ's. Yep, same one. When he spoke to the police after being inside the blue home, after recently just smoking crack with a woman named Megan Oxendine, it's unclear exactly what Johnny told Lumberton police. They haven't released the call, if there is a call. Investigative reports confirm Johnny's presence inside the home at the time of discovery of Kristen's body. But they don't mention Megan being present as well. Her presence in the home was confirmed later by Inside Edition reporting. Additionally, the FBI has confirmed Megan Oxnine was not the person that notified the authorities of Kristen's body. There never was an official 911 call. The now infamous Blue House is somewhat secluded, set back in the woods on a street in desperate need of repair, next to railroad tracks that stretch forever into nothing, stuck in time. A constant reminder of what the city once was. If you follow those tracks, you retrace the dump locations of numerous bodies that were discovered across the years, which we'll soon discuss.
1: Inside that blue home, police discovered the body of a woman tucked inside an old TV cabinet, wrapped in a gray blanket. She was soon identified as Kristen Bennett, and her mother wants the world to know she was ultimately a good person, overcoming challenges who kept to herself. Her character was attacked by the Lumberton Police Department at the beginning and throughout the investigation, despite her lack of prior interaction with their department. It should be noted this isn't the first time that law enforcement in Lumberton has critiqued the lifestyle of victims. Happening prior in the early 2000s, when two women were killed months apart and dumped close together, again near the railroad tracks. They were barely a mile apart. Michelle Driggers, 23, was found nude and face down on March 30, 2003, in the driveway puddle of an overgrown and seemingly private Hestertown Road Cemetery. Her clothes were scattered around her body. Lisa Hardin, 36, was found behind the Titan Flow Control Warehouse off Chippewa Street with an unused railroad spike nearby, four months after the discovery of Michelle. Rumors speculate about a similar nude state in Lisa's case. While the use of blunt objects and bruising was noted, the specific cause of death was not determined by the chief medical examiner via autopsy. However. Driggers was confirmed beaten, strangled, stabbed, and sexually assaulted with a sharp object. Police would not comment on Harden's tentative cause of death, potential sexual assault, and possible nude state. Ultimately, police publicly shamed the women for their lifestyle and considered the murders a warning to other women, not necessarily a call to action to apprehend the perpetrator. A Huffington Post article by crime writer David Lore posited the idea that these murders could be related to deaths and disappearances occurring in 2017. It's up for debate, at least in my mind, because the police never ruled out the possibility of a serial killer in the 2003 cases.
0: Oddly enough, the same blue home Kristen was found in is owned by a local businessman and defense attorney, Woodbury Bowen, the man who represented the men charged and convicted of the murder of Michael Jordan's father under the controversial circumstances mentioned earlier. Moving on. As the police are
1: processing the crime scene in the Blue Home, a neighbor, Dallas Butler, noticed an odor in a city trash can on a patch of dirt, grass, and gravel directly across the street from the first discovery. And subsequently, a foot emerging from under the lid of the trash can was seen, illuminated by the light of an increasingly morbid spring day Inside was the nude and decomposing body of Rhonda Jones.
0: Dallas, the man who found her, would later install a metal door in his East Lumberton home and fear the murderer was still lurking in his neighborhood. Both Kristen and Rhonda's autopsies were not released to the public until September 2018, what deemed her deaths as undetermined in the cause, unable to rule out strangulation. Both had notable but not necessarily lethal amounts of cocaine in their system, but at the time, none of that was known. They were far too decomposed to come into any discernible conclusion about what happened to them. The hot and humid climate in the spring and summer amplifying the decomposition rate by the minute. The documents also stated the gray blanket Kristen was found in was destroyed at the medical examiner's office at the request of law enforcement. You heard that right. The police requested evidence be destroyed in a homicide case. They have never provided an explanation for this or clarified who made the request to destroy the blanket. The move left FBI agents frustrated, according to our family sources.
1: Later that day, Rhonda's sister, Sherlyn, showed up to the Lumberton Police Department after hearing rumors of women found dead on the east side. She was whisked away by detectives to a side room at the police department, hidden from the cameras, to confirm for her via thigh tattoo photo that it was in fact Rhonda in the trash can. Weirdly enough, this tattoo, or at least one of Rhonda's tattoos, read the word... Tata, T-A-T-A, as she was called by a local man whom she shared the book A Purpose-Driven Life With, as verified on Facebook. Rhonda's mother, Sheila, was returning from a family trip to Virginia with a feeling that something was wrong. Sherlyn would later recount telling her, Mama, it's Rhonda.
0: Come home. The next day, Megan Oxendine facing a prostitution charge with the court date set for July and likely still traumatized and reeling for what she just witnessed in the blue home, gave an interview to a Raleigh news station, CBS 17, that seemingly sealed her fate. Again,
1: it wasn't discovered until later reporting from Inside Edition that Megan was, in fact, in the home where Kristen was discovered, when Kristen's body was discovered. This has some speculating, was she there when Kristen was killed? We don't know. Weeks prior to her death, Megan was attacked, some say by a group, some say an individual. Whoever it was, they cut her hair during the attack. It occurred on the streets in the dark of night and happened so fast that Megan claimed she couldn't see who did it. Or was she afraid of revealing their identity? A police report was made the night of the assault by Megan's mother, but she never heard from the Lumberton Police Department again until after Megan was found dead. It's rumored that sometime after her attack, Megan was seen fleeing the presence of two Lumberton police officers. She tumbled out of their car and jumped a fence to get away. Megan was ultimately found deceased near a vacant home at 608 East 8th Street on Saturday, June 3rd, 2017, by a teenage boy playing basketball. He noted the angel wings tattoo on her shoulder. She was tucked between a tree and the home, Investigators had to cut the tree just to remove her remains. She was actually only hundreds of feet from where Kristen and Rhonda were discovered earlier that spring on April 18th in an abandoned home and city trash can. The Lumberton Police Department is just four blocks away from where Megan's body was found running along those same railroad tracks that we've been talking about
0: since the beginning. The 911 call was heavily redacted and not released until February of 2019. Megan was nude and credibly decomposed, so much that the medical examiner would later have to extract pelvic fluid in order to complete a toxicology report. Her clothes were under her as she was covered by shingles and branches. Some neighbors claimed she was bound and gagged, perhaps a symbol against her speaking out of what happened to Rhonda and Kristen, and maybe others. Her mother had similar beliefs about what happened to Megan. And that concludes
1: part one of our season one finale. We'll be back next week with the rest in part two. To be continued. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you like what you're hearing. We'd really appreciate it. And that helps more people find out about the podcast and these cases.
0: And if you have any questions or comments, as we've mentioned, please hit us up at darkwaterpod at gmail.com. call us at
1: 919-307-9331 Thank you Goodbye